Take care, brethren, that there be in any one of you not an un evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He's not an anomaly. Actually, he's rather a common feature, almost a fixture. He shows up in virtually every group, every setting. He's the problem guy. You may know him as the odd guy, the dude with the quirk, the guy with the speech pattern, the sense of humor, or the body build that seem to push him to the margins. Or you may recognize him as the one member of the group who is better at battling against the things that the group cherishes and practices than affirming and supporting them. He's the guy who doesn't seem to be with the program, the guy who never jumps into the discussion, or the one who always criticizes and scoffs in every discussion. He may be the one who asks the wrong question at the wrong time and seems cursed with the case of chronic, incurable social awkwardness. Or he may be the guy who one day shocks everyone with a sudden confession in the form of an announcement. I'm not sure what I believe anymore, but I know I don't believe any of this. In whatever form he appears, he's the problem guy. Now, the problem with the problem guy is not his offensive idiosyncrasies. The problem with the problem guy is not his cynical attitude or his penchant for criticism and ridicule. The problem with the problem guy is not his lack of spiritual depth or maturity. All of these things may, in fact, be entirely true, but they are not the problem with the problem guy. Now, the problem with the problem guy is that he is your problem. But this is a truth only rarely recognized and even more rarely embraced. We live in a culture that is ferociously individualistic and determinedly isolationistic. Participating in this culture, we learn to live for ourselves, serve ourselves, look out for ourselves, and answer for ourselves. We learn to breathe a sigh of relief when calamity befalls another and look with suspicion and envy when blessings rain on another. We learn to fend for ourselves. Such individualism and all its consequences defines our Western culture. And of course, from this zealous egocentrism, the church is hardly immune. The emphatic phrase of our text day after day, as long as it is today, seems to resonate somehow with that familiar chorus from Godspell. And I suppose I'm dating myself. Day by day, day by day, oh dear Lord, three things I pray. To see thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, follow thee more nearly. But Godspell and our text could not be further apart in the chorus, it's all about the I who apparently yearns for and would be content with a personal and private relationship with his Lord. It's all about what the singer wants for himself. For the author of our text, such sentiments make no sense. In Hebrews, the emphasis is on the entire community, the imperatives, and the second-person pronouns are all plural. 
And the admonitions make every member of the church responsible for every other member of the church, including the problem guy. The author does not urge individuals to guard themselves against apostasy. Rather, he warns the entire church to make sure that apostasy never happens. There should not be a single one of all you with an evil, unbelieving heart. Work to make sure that none of all of you is hardened. Everyone in the church is fully responsible for everyone else in the church. This is how the Bible teaches the church to act. No one lives for himself. No one operates in isolation. The guy on the margins, the guy struggling with his faith, the guy wrestling with God's reality is your concern. The problem, guy, is your problem. The threat is real enough, of course. Sin and brokenness surround us, attack us, wear us down and wear us out. Satanic tricks and temptations lie before us with a maze of tripwires, triggers, and traps that seem always to be more able to deceive, snare, and pierce than we are to recognize, evade, and defeat. Is it any wonder that the problem guy so often seems to be in trouble? It's not just arteries that grow hard over time. Hearts also thicken and calcify until they are tough and unyielding. Such fossilized hearts may still beat, but they're dead, dried up in the desert of unbelief. Those on the margins always seem especially susceptible to such attacks. Alone, isolated, they're vulnerable. Others, though, caught up in the illusion of self-sufficiency and superiority, are willfully blind and oblivious to the faith-killing danger all around them. With terrifying ease, then, the possibility of an evil, unbelieving heart becomes bitter reality. Whether he's the outcast, the cynic, or the arrogant, the problem guy is a problem. But not just to himself. He's a problem for us all. He is your problem. The solution to the threat is not magical or mysterious. It's actually pretty obvious and unremarkable. The way to deal with the problem guy is with intentional, deliberate encouragement. Instead of a day-by-day -day yearning for your own personal spiritual growth, our text urges you to a day-by-day -day focus on encouraging your brothers in the faith. Day by day by day, you need to offer words and actions of encouragement for every brother around you. Every one of them is your responsibility. It is not the job of the campus chaplain, the seminary president, or an RFE pastor. It's your job. It's not the job of the friendly faculty member or the wise fourth-year guy who should have been a counselor or some dean or another. It's your job. Student, staff, faculty, family, or friend, it's your job. We are all responsible for the entire community, even for the problem guy who's teetering on the brink, especially for the problem guy. You owe it to him.
You owe it to everyone you encounter in this community. You owe your brother your encouragement. And just so we are clear on this, a word of encouragement is not a smiling affirmation of every thought, action, or statement of another brother. It is not sugar-coated platitudes barely disguising hollow shells. No, encouragement means delivering the words and gestures that urge your brother more fully to know and to follow God's truth and God's plans. It's the kind of work that the Holy Spirit does so well. He is the ultimate encourager, of course. He is the paraclete, the encourager. He is the one who speaks grace, declares Christ, gives forgiveness, and shapes us into God's ways. It's the paraclete that works through you. Your words of bracing encouragement and exhortation are his own words. When you encourage, you do Holy Spirit work. You have got to do this work. The community depends on it. The problem guy depends on it. You depend on it. The work of intentional and deliberate encouragement of your brothers is the single best defense against the minefield of temptation and the slow smothering death of a hardened heart. When you encourage, you fight evil and unbelief. When you encourage, you build the community, all of it. Communities are stubborn things. They are unyielding and demanding. They force burdens on you, and they force blessings on you. It is in the community that encouragement becomes real. It is in the community that the problem guy is not just noticed and tolerated, but encouraged and saved. And that is a very good thing, isn't it? For the community, certainly, but especially for you. After all, you and I both know who the real problem guy is, don't we? All praise to God, who provides brothers to speak his encouragement, even to the problem guy, even to the likes of me and you. Amen. We stand for the versicles.